0: Well, Welcome to the Crossing. Good to see you here today. I heard there was a fight in town last week, last night. I don't know if that actually happened or not, but uh, we're glad that you made it to church today. And would you help me uh, uh, welcome our Southeast campus, those who are watching online and our microsites right now, welcome them. So glad that you're part of the Crossing family part of this with us. Well, we are two weeks away from our men's conference on September 9th. It's on a Saturday. Once a year, we try to get all of our men together from both of our campuses so that we can just grow a little bit deeper in our relationship with God. And this is that once a year opportunity. We have a speaker by the name of John Woodall is coming. John is one of the teaching pastors at North Point Community Church, arguably the most influential church in America. Right now, we use a curriculum in our men's ministry called Seven. And John is the one who wrote that curriculum. And he's going to be coming and talking about seven things that rattle around in the mind of men. And in addition to that, we're going to have Chick fil A for breakfast and Roadkill Grill for lunch. So you get all of that for 25 bucks. So you can sign up in the lobby afterwards. Would love for you to be a part of that, guys. Well, we're in the middle of this series called Unleashed. And we just begin to wonder. What would it look like as a church if we became the hands and feet of Jesus? What would that look like? How could God use us? And in the midst of this series, we've been in 21 days of prayer, and I hope you are engaging and praying on a daily basis. It's not too late for you to jump on board and be a part of it. Here's what we believe. We just believe that God moves, that when God's people pray, that God moves. He changes circumstances. He changes hearts. He changes lives, and we want you to be a part of that with us. Well, today... We're talking about unleashing compassion. Unleashing compassion. There is a question that all of us wrestle with. And usually we wrestle with this question when things are not going well in our life. It's this question, are God and I good? Are God and I okay? We know that he loves us. We know that Jesus died for us. But we wonder, are God and I good see here's our view of god right here we have god up here in heaven somewhere and then we're here down on earth and we're trying to get closer to god now i'm not talking about salvation we know salvation comes only through jesus we are saved by grace through faith period i'm talking about this idea of getting closer to god god are we good is our relationship okay This is what has brought many of you back to church. It's this idea is, I just need to get closer to God. It's been a long time since I've been close to God. And we have these benchmarks, and so in our mind we think, well, I need to keep the Ten Commandments to get closer to God. Now, we don't know what the Ten Commandments are. You know, we know three of them, and that's the ones we've kept. You know, we think somewhere in there there must be something about speeding or cleanliness is next to godliness. But, you know, we're not real sure. But we know that if we can keep them, we can just get closer to God. Well, we're not the first ones who had that in mind. The Jewish people had that in mind as well. And they didn't just have 10 commandments. They had 630 commandments. And they were trying to keep them all because they wanted to make sure that they and God were okay. They were good. Well, this, this guy comes up to Jesus, and he's actually trying to trick Jesus. And he says, Jesus, out of these 630 commands, which is the most important? We're going to pick this up. It's in Matthew. He says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And then Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. The second one is just like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But this second one, It's right there with it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. The night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples and he said, if you want the world to know that you're my disciple, you love one another. In fact, you love the way that I have loved you and the way that I've loved you, that's the basis on how you should love other people. The apostle John was in that room. He was one of the 12 disciples. He writes in his book, 1 John, he says, anyone who claims to love God yet hates his brother is a liar. Anyone who claims to love God and hate his brother is a liar. In other words, the way that we do this, the way that we get closer to God is by the way that we love people. The way that we show that we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is the way that we love other people. It's right here. See, here at the crossing, this is what we believe. We believe that unleashing compassion is not just something we do. It's something we are. That it's not just something we talk about. It's not just something we give lip service to. It is who we are as followers of Christ. It comes out of us. It comes out of us that we want to be unleashing compassion. This is why so many of us have served our valley to address human trafficking. And poverty and homelessness, at-risk students, domestic violence, and so much more. It's why our people at the crossing sponsor nearly 600 children every month in Ecuador and Colombia to give them food and medical care, education, and Jesus. This is why we had 100 guys go to Mexico to build seven homes. Seven homes for families who were living on the dirt in a shack or under a tarp. And when our guys left Mexico that weekend, there were seven families that had homes. It's why this past year, 370 people from the crossing have gone on a global mission trip to places like Cambodia and Poland and the Dominican Republic and Ireland and Ghana and Peru, Taiwan and Ecuador and more to extend compassion. It's why we believe that every person in this room needs a place where you serve in the name of Jesus. It's why we have given millions of dollars away to local and global causes, just as we believe the Word of God teaches that all of us who are followers of Christ should set aside 10% of our income for the work of God, to tithe 10% of our money. We practice that as a church, that everything that comes in to this church, we give at least 10% away to local and global causes, And every now and then, somebody will come up to me and say, Now, why are we sending money over to Africa when we have all of these needs here? And the reason that we say this is because of this mindset that says, well, it's all about me. Everything I have is for me. But that's not what God taught us. That's not what Jesus taught us. Jesus said, as followers of Christ, we are a conduit to do God's work. Everything that we have It becomes this resource that we can use to be the hands and feet of Jesus to extend compassion because compassion is not something we do. Compassion is something we are. And we have three staff that we have dedicated to doing this here at The Crossing. Mark Graham, who is just here, is over our global missions. Trevor Macalusa is over our local outreach. And Tyler Shaheen assists both of those areas. I'd like for us just to give them a hand, just to encourage them for what they're doing, for keeping this in front of us. Because we believe this is what God has called us to do. So why do we do this? Why do we do all this stuff? Why was the early church so committed to releasing compassion? I want to answer this by by showing you a passage out of Isaiah. And what we find there is we find God's heart of compassion has always been there. It has always been the heart of God to release compassion. This isn't just something that started when Jesus came along. This has always been God's heart. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 58. I'll also have the scriptures up here. But Isaiah is a prophet from God. And God wants Isaiah to go to the people of Israel. Because the Israelites have this whole list of do's and don'ts. Because they're trying to be good with God. They're trying to go through all the motions. They're trying to impress God with all of their spiritual activities. So he wants Isaiah to share with the people of Israel, what is really important to him, what is really on his heart. And we're going to start out right here where it says this, Isaiah 58 verse 1. It says, Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of God. Here's what's going on here. They're not going to church every week. They're going to church every day. They're studying. They're worshiping. They're going through the motions, but there is no fruit that's showing in their life. They look good on the outside. They look good on the surface. But God has something to say about this. He says, they ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. They're saying, God, we're going through the motions. Why aren't you impressed with us? We're doing all of these things Shouldn't you be impressed with these things that we're doing? And God responds. And God says, I will tell you why I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. God says, this is all about you. This has come to be all about you. You're going through the motions. You're worshiping and fasting and praying. But it's all about you. God goes on. He says, even while you fast, even while you're fasting, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. Do you really think this will please the Lord? And then God goes on and he says this. He says, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. That's what impresses me. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. That is what I'm impressed with. Let the oppressed go free. That impresses me. Remove the chains that bind the people. That impresses me. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. That impresses me. Give clothes to those who are in need of them. That impresses me. And do not hide from your relatives who need your help. Okay, that's a little harder right there, isn't it? (laughs) You know, we have this this mentality where God says, you want to know how to impress me if you'll do that? And then God says this. He says, then when you release compassion, when you're helping the oppressed, when you're feeding the hungry, when you're taking care of needs, then your salvation will be like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then you will call. The Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. See, what, what God is speaking in to the children of Israel and what God is speaking in to us, he's saying that when you're, it's not just when you're learning about God. It's not just when you're attending a church service. It's not just when you're involved in a small group. It's when you're actually unleashing compassion. God says, when you call on me, then I will answer you. Some of you feel stuck right now in your spiritual journey you are in a rut you feel stagnant you feel like your spiritual life is in neutral can I suggest something to you that may be going on in your life you may not be giving yourself away you can only grow so far as a follower of Jesus by learning new things. You can only grow so far by studying new things. Some of you are spiritually stuck these days and you wonder what's wrong. And you think, well, maybe the problem's the church. I just need to find a new church and that'll fix the spiritual dryness. Listen, as long as your life is all about you, As long as your spiritual activities are all about you, as long as you're not giving yourself away to anyone else, you are going to feel stuck in your spiritual journey. When you come to those spiritually neutral moments, you don't need a new church. You don't need some new experience. There's two things that you need in your life that you are never going to grow in spiritual maturity till number one, till you begin to share your faith and invite somebody to to take that next step with Jesus. Let me tell you, when you share your faith and you invite somebody to come to a service, you view this entire service completely different. You have different eyes. Some of you, you've not done that for years. You don't know what it's like to have someone who is far from God that you invited to come to a service. For some of you, you do that all the time. And you come out to me in the lobby and you say, Shane, I brought my friend today. Do not screw it up. (laughs) Don't say anything stupid today. I'm like, okay, got it. So, you're not gonna grow spiritually until number one, you begin to share your faith. Number two, till you begin to give yourself away. Till you begin to serve other people in the name of Jesus. Till you begin to, to just get your hands dirty and say, I'm gonna become what God has called me to do. I'm gonna unleash compassion. Well, look at the conclusion of this passage right here. He says, feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. That's what we want, isn't it? That when you're spiritually dry, you want God to continually to guide you, to renew you, to restore your soul, to bring that passion back in you. See, that's what God does. That happens when we unleash compassion on the world around us. A few years ago, Bono spoke at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C., and I think that he can say this better than I can. Watch this right here.
1: I'd like to talk about the, uh, the laws of man here in this city where those laws are written. And I'd like to talk about higher laws. It would be great to assume that one serves the other, that the laws of man serve these higher laws, but of course they don't always. And I presume that, in a way, is why you're all here. It's not a coincidence that in the scriptures poverty is mentioned more than 2,100 times. It's not an accident. It's a lot of airtime. As you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. As I say, good news to the poor. God may well be with us in our mansions on the hill. I hope so. He may well be with us in all manner of controversial stuff. Maybe, maybe not. But the one thing, We can all agree, all faiths, all ideologies, is that God is with the vulnerable and the poor. God is in the slums, in the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. God is in the silence of a mother who has infected her child with a virus that will end both their lives. God is in the cries heard under the rubble of war. God is in the debris of wasted opportunity and lives. And God is with us if we are with them.
0: God is with us if we are with them. Can I be honest with you? I'm embarrassed to share this with you, but I have been a pastor my entire adult life. I have pastored churches, preached sermons, led ministries, studied the Bible. I've gone to other places to speak at conferences. And there was the longest time that I totally isolated myself from the needs that are going on around the world. Wasn't it about, till about 10 years ago, that I decided to get on some airplanes? And I traveled to places like India and Ecuador and Cuba and Nicaragua and Colombia and Cambodia, that my eyes were open to the needs around the world. And that helped me open my eyes to the needs that are closer to home. The needs in, In my own backyard. Because unleashing compassion is not something we do. Unleashing compassion is something we are. So let's make this real practical. How do we do this? What does this look like in our life? If we're going to unleash compassion, what do we do? I want to suggest three areas to you, three steps to take to begin to unleash compassion. The first is to simply open your eyes to those who are living next door. I mean, let's be honest, sometimes it's easier to get on an airplane and fly across the country than it is to unleash compassion to the people who literally live next door to us and people who live around us. When Darla and I first moved to Las Vegas... We moved into this new neighborhood. We moved into this uh, new house. And as we moved in, there was a lady who moved in right next to us. We all got settled in. You know, our neighbors were all moving in. It had been a couple weeks, and I noticed that my neighbor had not mowed her lawn. And I just started thinking, man, your lawn is starting to look pretty bad. I hope you mow your lawn. Well, about another week went by. I had mowed my lawn by the third time, and she did not mow her lawn. I'm like, man, that it's really looking bad. It's making my house look bad. Another week went by, and I started saying to Darla, you know what? If if you're going to be able to afford a house, you need to be able to afford to take care of your house. You need to do something about your lawn. And then I just felt like God was speaking to me, Shane, you're supposed to mow her lawn. And so when I was out mowing my lawn, I just kept going. I just mowed her lawn. And I went up to her house, and I said, hey, I noticed you didn't have a lawn mower. said, why don't you just let me mow your lawn? I, I mow my lawn every week. I'll just come over and do yours. She goes, I could never ask you to do that. It, I, I could never do it. I go, it's really no big deal. Your lawn's like 10 by 10. It's okay. I can do it in about five minutes. And so I mowed her lawn every week for the next five years. She was a single woman who had got divorced and she had moved next door to kind of start over in her life. And this opened up doors. We became friends. So when she had a crisis in her life, she came over to our house. When she had an emergency, she came to us for help. That it began to open up these doors that we could begin to share our life with her and she shared her life with us. See, it's what, what God does when we begin to open up our eyes to the needs of others around us. It's a family that's fallen apart. It's someone trying to overcome depression. It's those battling an addiction or an eating disorder. It's a single mom who just needs help with her kids. That we start this, we begin to open our eyes to those who are next door. And second, to those in my community. We open our eyes to those in our community. See, our heart here at The Crossing is to serve ministries in our own community. Many of you are in a small group where you adopt a cause or adopt a family or a project, whether it's at-risk kids or foster teens or human trafficking or homelessness. This summer, we had our Choose One, Change One initiative. Where we had 11 of our local partners come and share about their ministries, about what they're doing in our valley. And over a thousand of you from both of our campuses, over a thousand of you signed up to come beside these ministries and to serve them. I wanna show you a picture. This is a picture of Scott Dozier. You may recognize him because Scott Dozier is on death row, scheduled to be executed. In November. Scott was a drug dealer and about 10 years ago he committed and was convicted of a brutal murder and was sentenced to death. Now this is not an argument for or against the death penalty. You you have your own personal convictions about that but let me tell you why I bring this up. Because Regina Jones is part of this church. Regina is actually my executive assistant. She became friends with Scott over 27 years ago before he was ever incarcerated. That they got connected through mutual friends, and then they just started hanging out together with all of these friends together, with these mutual friends. And over the years, they had this friendship, and every time he got in trouble, she was one of the first calls that he made because she worked for an attorney and so was able to get him help. Well, fast forward. And they had lost contact over the years. And he was convicted of murder and sentenced to death. And Regina has a very unique perspective on violent crime. Because her brother was a police officer, her brother was a fugitive apprehension detective in Phoenix. And three years ago, he was killed in the line of duty pursuing a felon. If anyone understands the consequences of crime, it's her. She does. Well, it was on a prayer day about six years ago that she felt like God said to her, you're supposed to share your faith with Scott. And she argued with God. She said, that can't be because Scott is very content in his atheist perspective. But she just knew that if Scott could meet Jesus, it would change his life. It would not change the consequences of his crime, but it would change the consequences of his eternity. It would change his life. And so she made an effort to go see him on a regular basis. She would take one of her kids and she would drive to Ely State Prison to visit him. She would tell him about her life and how Jesus has transformed her life. And she would share her faith with him. Well, about six months ago, Scott was, was transferred to, to Las Vegas to get ready for all the last hearings before his execution. And so she was able to go visit him on a weekly basis at High Desert Prison. And every week she's gone, and this was just taken just a couple months ago, in one of her visits where she's able to share her faith about Jesus, and she desperately wants him to know Jesus and how Jesus can change his life. And Scott knows that she desperately wants him to know Jesus. Here's my ask for you. Would you pray for Scott? Would you pray for Regina? When you see this on the news and knowing that this is coming in November, would you just pray? Because we just know that Jesus changes lives. This is why Hope for Prisoners is one of our local partners. Because Hope for Prisoners works with those men and women who are incarcerated and works with the families. And so as they're coming out, they begin to help them reintegrate into society, help them with jobs, help them to get on the right track and show them how Jesus can make a difference in their life. This is why we're involved with ministries who are on the front lines of of stopping human trafficking and homelessness. And this is why we're mentoring kids. This is why that we serve Spring Mountain Youth Camp. Spring Mountain Youth Camp is a court-ordered facility for troubled teens in Mount Charleston. We took our microsite team there to tour the facility um, recently in hopes, and we're hoping and praying to be able to start a microsite for these boys so they can hear Jesus every week like you hear Jesus. That's our hope. This is why we do this. This is why we reach out to our community. It's we just believe that Jesus changes lives. We believe that Jesus changes lives. He uses this when we do this, open up our eyes to what's going on next door in our community. And the last one is beyond borders. It's that that we have this passion to go beyond borders. I love the heart of this church to go around the globe. And because of you, Because of you, we built schools and churches and safe houses and orphanages and clean water wells, and we've changed the lives of literally thousands of people, not only today, but for eternity. Last week, we had a team of 13 people who just got back from Ghana. One of the areas that they worked in when they were in Ghana was a campus that cares for 70 rescued children who have been rescued from slavery. In Ghana, in this area of Ghana, families are so poor that they sell their children into slavery. And fishermen like this right here, they buy these boys... And they work them all day long and the reason they do is because these boys have small fingers and so they're able to untangle the nets. And so sometimes when the nets get tangled in the water, they make these boys jump into the water and sometimes they drown because they don't know how to swim. Sometimes they're impaled by trees and are killed and they do this all day long. Well, our partners have been rescuing these children out of slavery. And three weeks ago, International Justice Mission, and along with with our missionaries' partnership, they rescued 15 children from slavery. And they're now transitioning them into a life of freedom and love and education. And this is a picture of our team. These are these boys that were just rescued just a couple weeks ago. This is our team doing medical screening and medical care for them. because of your generosity here at The Crossing, we were able to provide each of these boys with a set of clothes and a pair of shoes that they could begin to have, that they could call their own. Because of your generosity, this community where where this safe house is for these boys, this community also has a church that they can worship in, and it's because of your generosity that we funded and helped build this church right here for this community to tell these people about the hope that they can have in Jesus. It's because of you, and I could tell you hundreds of stories just like this. I could tell you hundreds of stories because of your generosity And because thousands of you have gone beyond borders, we're making an impact in this world. We're making an impact. Here's how I want to just close this part of our service right here. Is I want you to read this verse out loud with me. It comes out of Hebrews chapter 13. And I'm actually going to bring this up in the message translation. And I want us to read this out loud together. So let's read this. So let's go outside where Jesus is where the action is, not trying to be privileged insiders. This insider world is not our home. Let's take our place outside with Jesus. Share what you have with others. God takes particular pleasure in acts of worship, a different kind of sacrifice that takes place in kitchen and workplace and on the streets. Let's just agree together that this is who we're going to be that that is what we're going to do that we want to come together like that because compassion is not something we do as followers of Jesus compassion is who we are i want to pray and here's what i want to begin to do and i want you to do this in your heart i want you just to begin to pray god give me a heart of compassion give me a heart of compassion God, today we come here and we thank you for using us to be your hands and your feet in this world. God, we want to bring compassion to our neighborhoods, to our community, this great city that you've put us in, and to our world. So give us your heart. Give us your heart for people. Help us to have your eyes to see what you see. And pray this in Jesus' name, amen.